Well, um, so it is good to be back, by the way. And uh, after I'm done, you might find that you wished that Erica had spoken rather than me. But, uh, and I know I'm preaching in a room full of preachers, so that makes me a little nervous. But, uh, but here goes nothing. Yeah, please laugh. Please laugh. So here's how I want to start. Okay, I know Todd just prayed for me. But um, I want to pray a prayer that one of the, my favorite preachers would always pray before he spoke. So let's pray one more time together, okay? Almighty and eternal God, who gave to your apostles grace, truly to believe and to preach your word, grant that we may love what they believed and preach what they taught. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Okay. So, um, Todd asked for a, a tagline for, uh, for my talk today, and um, I had to think about it for a second. But what I came up with on the spot was the knowledge ministry of Jesus. And I chose, I chose that, and I think that that represents what I want to talk about for a little bit with you. Uh, well, because we typically think of Jesus' ministry as kind of a power ministry to some degree, right? He's out there healing people, doing miracles, and then ultimately he gets to the cross and he, he dies for us and he rescues us, right? By his sacrifice uh, from sin. And sometimes we view the teaching, right, that he gives along the way as kind of a garnishment, right, on the rest of all that. And uh, maybe you guys get this regularly with Todd in the past year, so I hope I'm not uh, just repeating what you've heard, but um, I think a lot of times we we fall into just seeing Jesus as kind of a a pawn in some weird way, uh, who has a function, but that wasn't bringing a message that itself had power, okay? And so the way I want to kind of show you guys that Jesus had a knowledge ministry is by looking at the gospel reading, okay? In the gospel reading, uh, usually Simon gets a really bad rap, right? He's the mean guy who's the hard-hearted Pharisee who, you know, should have known better uh, than to reject this poor woman who, you know, is weeping and and repenting of her sins, right? But if we pay attention to some interesting facts in the passage, you see that uh, Jesus doesn't react to Simon in that way, right? In fact, he, he actually takes Simon's inner workings, what he's thinking about as he's sitting there looking at Jesus and what Jesus is doing and what the woman is doing. He takes Simon's concerns very seriously he doesn't rebuke him. So let me show you guys this because I, I think I might have some convincing to do. So one thing I do want to say uh, is that I think uh, also sometimes we forget how revolutionary Jesus's ministry was to the people of his day. It was anticipated by the prophets that came before him. But even if you were a reasonably educated uh, religious person or even a minister, like Simon was, because that's what he was. As a Pharisee, he was kind of like a, he was a, he was a professional minister. The, the synagogue was, for all intents and purposes, 
an outreach ministry of the Pharisees, right? So the temple, the temple couldn't be everywhere, couldn't be in every town. So the Pharisees set up synagogues so that people could have the word of God read to them and could have some sort of religious observance without going all the way to the temple, okay? So maybe Simon was, you know, maybe, maybe he was a pastor, you know, maybe he was a pastor. Maybe he was, uh, maybe he had a personal interest in what Jesus was saying and proclaiming, but maybe he also had like a religious interest or a pastoral interest, right? So here's this guy going around, raising people from the dead, which had just happened earlier in the chapter of Luke, healing people, delivering people from demons, but also teaching people things that, you know, sounded a bit odd, perhaps. So what he does is he, Simon invites, he invites Jesus to his house, right? And maybe he's, maybe he's checking him out, you know, as a good pastor would, right? Who's this guy who's coming into my town and teaching this stuff, you know, to my people, right? So he invites him over and Jesus comes and, and it's kind of a big deal. You can tell that by how Jesus, it says Jesus reclines at table. And so this is like an extended dinner kind of thing where there's couches and they would lay down on the couch and have their left hand on the table. And you know, there'd be several courses, I think. So it was a big deal, you know, he was, he was treating Jesus well. This woman, uh, who had heard about Jesus, she knew Jesus previously. She hears that Jesus is gonna be there, so she comes in, right? And she's, she starts anointing Jesus' feet uh, and weeping. Now, you know, Todd, what would you do if this happened, you know, at your house? You know, there's this guy going around proclaiming a message, maybe a weird guy like me, right, or something, and your, your house is, you know, it's open. Anybody can come who wants to. And someone comes and starts weeping at this person's feet. You know, that you'd at least pause to think about what's happening here, right? Maybe you'd want to take her to the side or something. And, hey, what's going on? You know, talk about it. Leave him alone. Um, so he's, he's, he's thinking about what's going on. And he's trying to decide what to do with Jesus to some degree perhaps, either on a personal level or on a religious level, pastoral level maybe. Um, and one thing you can, you notice, right, is that G he, doesn't, he doesn't really have a problem with Jesus uh, ministering to sinners. The scripture doesn't say that, right? So turn to the, turn to the reading. What Simon says to himself, is eventually is this, okay? If this man were a prophet, which is what he's trying to ascertain, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Now, notice his problem isn't that she's a sinner, and it's not even what she's doing, right? This is a highly technical point that he's, deciding on. It's that Jesus doesn't know, to his, as far as he can tell, he doesn't know that this woman is a sinner. Why is that a problem? Well, because prophets had the ability to read hearts and minds in the Old Testament, right? That's how they spoke 
to people. That was part of their gifting as prophets. And so on a highly technical point, Simon says, this guy, is, it doesn't look like he's a prophet because if he were, he would have this, this gift to be able to discern hearts and read characters. And he would then respond in a particular way and not in this way that he's responding. So what's, what's Jesus do? So, uh, so you know, you give Simon credit. He's trying to do the best that he can. He's, he's not, not just being mean. But what Jesus does is so interesting, and it always is. And we should think about what he does more and spend more time uh, just dwelling on what he does in the Gospels. What he does immediately is he shows Simon that he had just read his heart. So Simon, he's saying, this guy can't read hearts. He's probably not a prophet. Jesus goes, Simon, I have a story to tell you. And you get, you know, caught him off guard. He's like, I just, did, what, did I say that out loud? Like, what, what just happened, right? And he tells this story, right? He tells the story about two debtors. You guys know it well. One, the, the creditor, by the way, could have put both of them in prison for owing him that much money. So, uh, and both of them in the story get forgiven, by the way, right? Both of them. But uh, the second one uh, is forgiven more, right? And Jesus says, hey, Simon, you know, uh, which of these two would love, show affection for, care about, whatever, the, de- the uh, creditor more? And Simon goes, well, the second one. And Jesus says, you've judged rightly, right? It's almost like Jesus is saying, your, your mind is, you're, you're good. Your mind is working. You are sharp, you, you know. You may not be the sharpest tool in the shed, but your, your mind is working. And then he turns to the woman and he addresses her need. I'm sorry, he looks at her and he addresses what's going on with her. But all the while, this is also meant for Simon. Now Simon's a smart guy and Jesus knows this. And what lesson does he want Simon to draw? I think, I don't know if Simon realized this right when Jesus said it. So, so Jesus obviously, you know, what, what he does is he, he realizes Simon is smart and so he, he meets him where he is and he gives him a story that he can think about and he, he shows him, right, some evidence that look, hey, you have a problem on this level, I'm gonna address this need for you. But what I think that Simon would have gotten if he would have reflected on the story a little bit, which he truly did, I'm sure, after this, was that both what the, Jesus going to his house was Jesus accepting from Simon some acknowledgement of who Jesus was. Okay, why? Well, you don't invite people over to your house for no good reason. Even if it's for a religious reason and he's checking Jesus out, there's still some honor involved, right? He's still saying, you're not a kook, right? There's some credibility to what you're doing, but I wanna honor you, I wanna have you over to my house. And Jesus accepted that. Well, that's the first creditor, perhaps. Jesus is receiving uh, some honor from Simon by going over to his house. But, this, but what Jesus is doing just a little bit there, going over to Simon's house, accepting some attention from Simon, he does a couple hundred fold 
for the woman. So what the woman, Simon brought Jesus to his house as a way of paying him some honor and checking him out. And Jesus received that. That's where Simon was. The woman must have had an incredible encounter with Jesus before this moment. And she came to say thank you. Maybe she heard his teaching whenever he was giving the Sermon on the Plain. Maybe when he was talking in a town or whatever. And whatever he said, something he said, maybe a lot of what he said, had changed her life. Radically. And so she seeks Jesus out. She hears he's at Simon's house and she goes and she does this beautiful thing for Jesus. But I think that Jesus was also telling Simon, who he knew was smart, I'm doing the same thing for you. I'm doing the same thing for you. Don't worry about, you guys are on the same plane. And by the way, he's not even saying that, when he says that you know one of the creditors had been forgiven little, he's not necessarily uh, disparaging Simon, right? So it's, it's good if you, if you only need to be forgiven a little, right? I mean, look, everybody needs to be forgiven, but some of us really kind of rack sins up, right? <laughs> and uh, there's a sense in which we, you know, we just, we need more forgiveness, right? Um, but being, you know, being, needing for little forgiveness is not bad in and of itself, right? But Jesus was saying this powerful experience, right? that she had and you had are on the same continuum and I'm the creditor, by the way. So your judgment is right about prophets. I just gave you evidence that I'm a prophet. You're both responding to what? To me in different ways according to your, your experience of the kingdom. I hope that that's helpful. I, ho- I hope that that's helpful to you with respect to seeing how seriously Jesus takes Simon's concerns. And what he's doing is he's teaching. He's just teaching. He's teaching, he's teaching, he's teaching. He's teaching Simon. He's teaching, teaching the woman. There's, there's a really powerful, uh, I almost want to pause for questions because I'm a professor and not a preacher, you know. So I always, yeah, but I won't do that. Just shout it out if you have if I'm not being clear. Um, So there's this really powerful uh, thing that Jesus says to the woman, though, uh, at the end of of the, the story that we get at Simon's house. He says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And what's he mean by that? I mean, does the woman know what justification is? You know, is he giving a discourse on that? And she was like, oh yes, yes, Romans, got it, right? (laughs) Um, No, probably not, probably not. Um, Here's what I think that she might have knew that Jesus meant if she was paying attention carefully to his teachings and was impacted by them. Here's how her life changed. Jesus' teaching about who God was 
about how we relate to God, about how we enter into the kingdom, she put it into practice. She put it into practice and she experienced the outpouring of the kingdom of God in her life. Now, that putting it into practice, that's faith. It's not just believing doctrine, right? It's sitting on the chair, right? Sitting on the chair, believing, right? So your faith has saved you. You put my teaching into practice and now you've experienced the, the kingdom of God. Go in peace. Well done. You did it. This is exactly what Paul's saying in Galatians. In that confusing place where he says, I've been crucified with Christ. This is verse 20. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Is he talking about justification? Yes, he is. But he's not stopping there. This life by faith is what? It's putting the teachings of Christ into practice, right? And experience that kind of life. That's the life of grace, right? So, but all Paul's doing is just expounding on what Jesus taught. That's all he's doing. I think we're out of time. It's really good to be back with you guys. I hope that, uh, that we're able to get to connect with each of you and minister you know, to those of, of your kids that come our way. Um, they're precious to us. And it's, it, it's a great privilege uh, to be back. Pray with me real fast. Heavenly Father, Lord God, Father of our Lord Jesus, we pray that you would help us by your grace to find our way by faith into the power of the kingdom of God. We pray this in Jesus' matchless name. Amen.